Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Okay, we're experimenting with something new on the show this week. As many of you know, Commune is not just a podcast, but it's also a course platform that features a huge breadth of thought leaders, authors, teachers, and increasingly more and more functional and integrative medicine doctors. The course library on onecommune.com now contains hundreds of programs spanning personal growth, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. I think of it as all of the different components that inform holistic well-being. Now, one particularly popular program is Russell Brand's course on recovery, in which Russell creatively and occasionally profanely adapts the 12-step system into a comprehensive tool for living a more examined, healthier and spiritually engaged life. Now there's an assumption that 12-step recovery is for addicts and alcoholics, and that's true. That's indeed how Russell found his way to the 12 steps. But as Russell will soon demonstrate in this course, it is also an effective and protein tool for untangling yourself from life's more insidious addictions and attachments, including unhealthy relationships to work, or social media, or sex, or gambling, or food, or sugar, or pornography, or codependency. In the past, we have published individual lessons from courses like Russell's here on the podcast. But today, we're trying something new, as I mentioned. So over the next six days, we will be releasing the first six parts of Russell's 12-part series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, including a variety of bonus lessons and worksheets, then I encourage you to go to onecommune.com recovery and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com recovery. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library and enjoy the full length version of Russell's course on recovery. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are really the reason we are able to create and share content like this. And if you regularly tune into this show, well, I ask that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher and tap follow show. And leave us a review if you're so inclined to show your support. It really does make a huge difference. Okay, on with the show. Enjoy this excerpt from Russell Brand's Commune course on recovery. Step six, as I've written it, well, that's revealed a lot of fucked up patterns. Do you want to do something about it seriously? Or became entirely willing to, let me just check it out, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. The distinction between my colloquialised version and the hardcore original being the overt and explicit mention of God, which, to be clear, is not something I'm bashful about or reticent about, excuse me, 
for me, this ain't a process of demystification, but a process of remystification, of revivifying mystery, of allowing mystery into this process. But becoming ready to change is quite a hard process when you think about it. Take something parochial that I've found to be common among men that have had substance misuse issues and now have like a long time clean. I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Looking at, say, pornography or paying for sex or objectifying women unthinkingly. Like, to seriously be ready to let go of that behaviour, that requires a degree of authenticity, honesty, willingness. Because, you know, if we enter into a 12-step programme via drugs, alcohol, the consequences can become pretty obvious and vivid. Like, you know, you're getting arrested, there's health problems, your marriage is over, all of that kind of stuff. With subtler forms of addiction, there's usually a reward. That's usually why we're doing it. It's quite hard sometimes. Do you really want to let go of lust? Do you really want to let go of greed? Do you really want to stop being grandiose or arrogant? Having undertaken the inventory process and shared it with another person, we've now got a different perspective on how these defects of character, as they're commonly known, are negatively impacting our life. But this is where this 12-step system enters into a kind of phase of flexibility and a kind of ongoing negotiation is my experience. I put down arrogance, I pick arrogance back up again. I put down lust, I pick lust up again. You know, this can, this can vary as a result of everyday um, phenomena, such as bloody being a bit tired or a bit hungry. One of the great maxims of the 12-step program, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you need to consult with other people, connect to other people, re-engage your program. Me, when I'm tired, the first things I reach for are like old behaviours, old methods for self-soothing and self-comfort. The sixth step is about the part of change that we can control, and that's ultimately willingness, readiness. Because I've had the privilege of a pretty obvious chemical addiction, I'm able to identify when things are no longer serving me. I'm able to identify through the use of this program, not through any inner ingenuity or any other gift, but because I work this program with other people. So like, say, for example, when I was doing this very video that you're watching without getting too meta, when I was first undertaking it, I initially thought this would be something that would be no problem for me. So there's like, that's arrogance. I also have a tendency to be controlling in the way that I work. I'm used to being a comedian, working on my own. I don't consult a lot. I don't trust people. So that's, these are my default settings. These are not things that I necessarily observe or I'm aware of, but they are present and they are governing me. Remember my initial point that the 12 steps are a tool for awakening from transitioning from a place where you're unaware of what's governing your life to a point where you are aware and then you're able to observe. And at the step six point, we'll actually make a decision. Do you want to continue to be arrogant? Do you want to continue to try and be in control of situations? Do you want to continue to be uh, lustful and objectifying? You, know, th th you have to become ready. Again, another of the 12 steps edicts becomes relevant here. One day at a time. 
When I sort of think about, even now with 16 and a half years, one day at a time clean from drink and drugs, when I think about never taking drugs again or never drinking again or never sleeping with another person in my life or never looking at pornography again, these can seem like great glacial challenges, monolithic and fearsome tasks, white whales of horror that have to be subdued. But when I think, look, all you have to do, I mean, I don't know if this is too much to ask, do you think you could get to the end of the day without objectifying your fellow humans? Is that all right? Oh, God, give it a go. Do you think you can get to bed tonight without smoking crack? I mean, I remember the first time someone suggested that to me, the answer was, no, I don't think I can. What time is it? It's only fucking 12 o'clock. I'm not going to bed till like 11, 12. Could be later if the crack's any good. I could be up all night long. So. These philosophies such as process of awakening, these ideas such as halt, watch for when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and the most, hmm, in a sense, the most rudimentary and platitudinous of 12-step philosophical tropes, one day at a time, are absolutely vital because we do not live the whole rest of our life at one moment. You live one day at a time, one moment at a time. The, the rest of your life is conceptual. The rest of your life is a concept. Now let's engage in willingness. Am I willing? Let's see, when you did the, the inventory, you will have identified from the fifth column various character defects. Pride, self-pity, selfishness. These are the defects of character that we're soon gonna ask to be removed. Even in the sixth step in the traditional sense, we talk about God removing them. This is where, again, in step two and three, you have to have a robust and workable concept of a higher power because now you're actually putting it to work for you. You're asking it to function for you. When I consider it, I feel that it helps me this way. This is just personal when you just make up your own version, do you know what I mean? My version is my version and I don't know anyone else that really works my version except the people that have nominated me to be my mentor, in which case I'm pretty fundamentalist with my edicts. I think that I occupy just one aspect of my potential neurological manifestations. Think of if I'd had a slightly different childhood, I'd be a slightly different guy. One of the ways I've really noticed it lately is because I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm continually in physical contact with men and sometimes those men are attractive men. And I sort of come, find myself coming over to my wife going, that guy, Ben, he's real attractive. You know, and sort of after saying it throughout the fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth or 20th time, I started to think, you're attracted to men. Now, I like grew up in an environment <laughs> where you are not attracted to men. And if you are, you better fucking well stop it. <laughs> so that's like, for me, I became aware, oh wow, yeah, you were just biased and conditioned through homophobia and circumstance to just not consider that. A different type of environment, a different type of life. I can see another version of myself may have been manifest. I recognize me, Russell, not a solid object. Me, Russell, an event. There is no solid Russell. There's this ongoing, continuing process. As Muji continually says, who were you? Who is the unborn you? And of course, this is a, a, a Buddhist idea that sort of, you know, it's your ABCs of Buddhism, if I may be so bold, that the self is a construct. Now, when you start breaking that down into defects of character, you're nominating, selecting, and attacking the aspects of the self that you would like to be rid of. Given that there is no objective and absolute self, not that I'm saying there is no essence, you know, who sort of cares really, but like, but I'm saying that if there's something you don't like about yourself, it can be altered, whether that's drinking to not drinking, 
being unpleasant to people to being pleasant to people, or it's constituent parts such as pride, self-pity, selfishness, self-centeredness, intolerance, impatience, greed, gluttony, jealousy, envy, sloth, lust, arrogance, dishonesty, self-righteousness, grandiosity. Whenever anything's bothering me, I can normally tick a few of those things. This is what I can be willing to change. That's what step six is asking me. Are you willing to let go of your pride? Now, because <clears throat> I don't want to leave you stranded on some terrible peninsula of self-condemnation, particularly those of you that are working this program around issues such as codependency, where generally I've discovered that most people think they're not good enough anyway, pretty self-berating and hostile to themselves. And indeed, once you get beyond the superficial uh, material aspect of addiction that most chemically dependent people are experiencing, you always find self-loathing, worthlessness, inability to trust, as I've said to you, the core of my own program. Without this program, I revert to my core program. I'm not good enough, I can't trust nobody, no one would love me if they really knew me. And whenever I check my inventory, these are the kind of things that I discover. But when we're amounting, like, that's too big of a concept to attack you know, like self-loathing, worthlessness. I must stop this worthlessness that I'm feeling. I can't, that's too heavy, you know? Because in a sense, the shadow of this, if you ask me, is, and I think this a lot about addicts, that they are unconsciously trying to achieve the state that this process consciously achieves, self-annihilation, immolation of the illusion of self. I want to get off my face, out of my head. I want to destroy myself, even kill myself. I want to be rid of myself. I have to get rid of myself. I can't live with myself. All these ideas are being enacted, dramatized through the process of addiction and self-loathing. What we've done now is we've, through the inventory, through the, through the steps that we've undertaken so far, is we've moved it from an unconscious to a conscious process. The worthlessness will be made up of, say we attack one of my core fears, I am worthless, people can't love me. Like, where does pride play a role in that? Well, pride plays a role because I have determined what people loving me should look like. You know, like I don't think, oh, <laughs> this person looks after me, takes care of me, devotes themselves to me. I've got ideas of what love should look like that are being received through the warped and buckled lens of my pride. If I'm not willing to let go of that, if I'm like, no, this is how I want the world to be, then I'm gonna to continue to experience that problem. But as soon as I become willing to let go of pride, change is possible. Same with self-pity, the infatuation with misery, the cultivating of misery. Many people unable to change, unable to let go of dependence on pharmaceutical drugs or dependence on partners that treat them like shit because they are not willing to let go of their self-pity. You let go of your self-pity, you won't want to be in relationships with people that don't treat you with respect. You won't want to do a job where you feel undervalued and not appreciated because you won't be continually trying to realise your neurotic inner beliefs through the, your external behaviours and patterns because you're altering the core. I thought once about this, how this programme applies to relationship, and hear me out, it's a bit of a troubling analogy, not troubling in a sort of a macabre sense, just in that it's laborious. Like, you know, if you're throwing a tennis ball continually against a wall, there's a kind of, you 
work out after a while the way that the ball will bounce back. If someone coated that wall with foam, it would bounce back in a different way. All your relationships will alter if you change the way that you are. If you let go of your self-pity, if you let go of your pride, if you let go of your arrogance, the relationships you have, the way that the world bounces back at you, alters because you are no longer engaged in a rigid symbiosis ultimately governed by a negative self-belief. So becoming willing to let go of these patterns is, becomes the same as, is in a sense, it's a second step one. We come into this process saying, I wanna change my negative thinking, or I wanna change the, my negative drinking, or I wanna change my negative marriage, or I wanna change like, eating badly. Whatever it is you've come to this course trying to change about yourself, step six is where we start to attack the individual parts of it. Start to say, oh God, if I got rid of the pride, I wouldn't be able to sustain those kind of behaviors. If I got rid of my envy, the, the world wouldn't look the same way to me. So step six is a kind of a, a breakdown of those principles. And again, not to leave you high and dry, my belief is that each of these negative character defects has a positive attribute, like that the drives and the cravings themselves are not negative. But with surrender and dedication, lust can become love and service, that greed can become a kind of gratitude, that even arrogance that can, can become humility. You know, I asked this proper holy dude once, um, Radhanath Swami, he's a high up Hare Krishna dude, he's what you want, he's got a shaved head, he's dressed in a blanket, it's the sort of person I like getting information from. Um, I said to him, do you still experience jealousy, lust? He said, yes. I go, well, what do you do with that? Having been a Swami for 40 years, having hundreds of thousands of followers, not on Instagram neither, followers laying down prostrate on the floor when he, when he goes by, that's when I realised, hmm, there's further to go than show business then. <laughs> Never mind asking for an autograph. Lay down flat on your face. <laughs> Throw flowers where I'm walking. Uh, like, uh, I asked him, do you still feel these things? Jealousy, envy, lust. He said, um, yeah, I go, what do you do with that? He says, it reminds me I need to move closer to God. So me, if I'm feeling envy, I was taught by one of my teachers, envy is me projecting my unrealized potential onto another. So every time I feel envy, I don't think, damn you, Benedict Cumberbatch. I think, what is it that wants to be done that I'm not doing? What is it that I'm not doing? You see, there's a degree of trust in these feelings, a kind of a, may I say, Rumi-esque acceptance that envy will visit, that jealousy will visit, that lust will visit, and we treat them as guests with something to say. Now, because I know I'm still crazy, I don't come up with my own policy of how to respond to lust, because my policy for responding to lust was not ultimately helpful. So, like, you know, but if I counsel, consult, as we discussed in step five with another person, I'm feeling this, then we can usually discover that there is some unheard qu quality. There's something trying to be realized. The whole point of recovery is there is another person trying to be born. Someone's trying to be born and you're getting in the way of it. You're getting in the way of it. You're telling it in my case, look, shut up, you want drugs. Shut up, you want fame. Shut up, you want sex. And it's, I, that is not what I want. This is not what we are here to do. We're here to do something else. We're here to do something else. None of this is real. And continually this negotiation goes on. Me telling it, come on, have a fancy car. Come on, win this altercation or this argument. But 
I, through this program, I'm able to find fidelity again. Fidelity assumes that there is a tune. Fidelity assumes that there is a frequency that we're trying to find, that it's not a nihilistic, meaningless universe rushing into limitless nothingness, but there is some truth, some symphony, some concept trying to be realized. And throughout the patterns and golden scales and sacred geometry and things that seem to be realizing themselves archetypally and universally here, it would seem that there is an essence, that there is a truth. But for us to have a relationship with it, we're gonna to have to remove our blocks, the pride, the self-pity, the self-centeredness, the envy, the greed. These are false messengers false messengers telling you, oh, if you was as famous as him, or if you had as much money as them, or if you were a bit more like that. None of these things are ever going to work. I've been their servant for a long, long time, and it doesn't lead to anything but perpetuation. Sisyphean, cyclical, Promethean, gut-pecking misery. Then this cycle can only be broken through an acceptance of a higher power and acceptance of a higher purpose. Having been honest with yourself, being honest with another person, having been honest with a higher power, you begin to be ready. You begin to be ready to let go. Because it's frightening to let go of a pattern that's been doing a job for you. The drugs have been doing a job for me. The sex has been doing a job for me. The fame, the money, these things are all working for you, holding stuff together. You think, oh God, what's gonna happen if I let go of that? What is my fear? These are all questions that are in your worksheets. What do you think's gonna happen if you let go of that? What is your fear? What pleasure do you associate with it? Once you have a clear conscious appraisal of what it is you're doing and what you're hoping to achieve, you will recognize that these things can be let go of. And when you let go of them, the hope is, the faith is that what will rush into the vacuum left by these negative behaviors is something beautiful. And in my experience, extraordinarily, poetically and perfectly, the thing that I've been searching for in all of these negative behaviors kind of comes to you anyway. You find it, you find connection, you find approval, you find validation, but only when you are willing to let go of your defects of character, only when you become ready. The next step, step seven, is about a metaphysical, somewhat mysterious, somewhat faithful way of handing that over and finding humility. And that is the next thing we will be discussing. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from Russell Brand's Commune course on recovery. Now, if you want to watch the full video version of this course, including a variety of bonus lessons and worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com recovery and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com recovery. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's course library and enjoy the full-length version of Russell's course on recovery. Of course, feel free to email me with any suggestions or criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.